As Shola said, we have been in the book of Haggai. So last week we read Haggai chapter 1, and today we'll be reading Haggai chapter 2, which is on page 812 in the Bibles on the chairs. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. 
the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Hey, thank you, Mel. Hey, morning, everyone. Uh, for those I haven't met, uh, my name's Rob. It's really uh, great uh, to join, for you all to join us as we're digging into the second half of Haggai. Uh, so last week, uh, we looked at, uh, we were looking at uh, this call to the Israelites and the call for us to live an intentional life and by putting God first. And through that, that's the best way, uh, and that's how we honour and glorify God in our lives. Well, we're going to have a look at the second half of Haggai, uh, but first, let's uh, join me in prayer as we pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come here to wrestle with your word and, and pray that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts, Lord, that you will reveal to us the truth in this passage and that we will be changed by this, Lord, so that we will continually grow in our love and knowledge of you and how we can better respond to what you have done in our lives. May you be glorified and honoured. In Jesus' name, amen. So many people uh, would say that Philip Wells has one of the worst jobs in the UK. Now, he personally loves his, his work, which is it's great for him, but most people would absolutely hate his job because he's a professional food taster. Now, before you guys get excited and say, hey, this sounds like an awesome job, he tastes pet food for a living. <laughs> oh, obviously, one of the main reasons why uh, no one wants his job because he's eating dog food all day. But there's something else to that, isn't it? Because there's thousands of people who volunteer to serve overseas in active war zones. Uh, here in New Zealand, we've got there's thousands of people who are paid to go into burning buildings to rescue complete strangers. And every day of every hour here in New Zealand and across the world, there are thousands of people who are undertaking grueling, tough, dangerous work, pulling in long hours. But why? Why is it that there are more people lining up to be firefighters and police officers than dog food tasters? Well, people want their work to matter, don't they? They, they want their work to make a positive impact on the world around them, to maybe even to touch people's lives. And that when their job is considered tough and long and hard, the fact that they're making a positive impact on the world makes it worth it. If I was to put myself in 
Philip Wells' shoes, and, and I rip open a can of dog food for lunch. I really don't think swallowing a hunk of dog roll is worth it. I don't think I'm going to be making a positive impact on the world. We want to see progress. We want to see something that matters. We want to do something that matters. But can serving God, because that sometimes feel like this is not too far from the truth. Does working in God's kingdom sometimes feel like such a hard slog? Does, well, we can look at what we've done, all the hard effort that we put in, and just see such little fruit to our work. Here in New Zealand, Christianity has been in decline for over 100 years. Uh, church attendance is declining uh, quite rapidly after COVID. The spiritual health of many of the churches in New Zealand are not great. We're hearing stories of people being hurt by the experience at church. Our society's culture here is, and values are diverging further away from our own. Uh, New Zealand culture is even becoming more openly hostile to God. And then in our own lives, it's just getting harder to talk about faith. And, and when we do muster that courage and find that opportunity, we find that the people just seem indifferent, uninterested. And that there just seems to be little fruit to those conversations. Does what we're doing matter? Is there progress being made, even though we just can't see it? So as we dig into this passage in Haggai, this is the Haggai is addressing the same struggles. These are the same struggles that Israel, Israelites are having here. And it's, and it's going to show us that there's more going on than we can see. And it's answering this question of how do we find encouragement when we see little progress in working in God's kingdom. So as we are going through this passage together, uh, we're going to see what actually is God building. Uh, Then we're going to see that there's a problem, there's an obstacle in the way, but also at last we're going to see that God has a solution to that problem. So I encourage you to keep that page open uh, in Haggai, uh, that chapter open. We're going to refer to it as we go through it together. So what is God building? Uh, Verses 1 to 9, it gives us a bit of a glimpse uh, into God's plan, uh, his blueprint on what he's building. So he's giving them a glimpse because the Israelites are feeling discouraged. And we see that uh, in verse 3. So Haggai here is, is speaking to them, and he says, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Haggai is, is addressing the discouragement and the disappointment uh, the Israelites have. Some of the people in this remnant would have uh, seen the temple, the original temple, in all its glory. And it's there laying out the plans, getting the plans ready to build the temple, the building's just not going to be as impressive. It's going to be smaller. It's going to, it's going to be a lot shorter to build with far less people, and they're just discouraged. And in their eyes, they feel like that the golden age of the temple has passed, and that maybe even the golden age of Israel has ended. 
And no one wants to be part of something that is in decline. Uh, for those sports fans out there, you don't want to be following a sports team that's in decline. Uh, for, uh, for, for Greek football fans, this is what they've been feeling for the last 10 years. Uh, they've lived through the glory days of 2008 and 2011. Uh, that's where their, their team is ranked eighth in the world. They're beating some of the top teams in Europe. They won the Euro Cup. They're qualifying for the World Cup. Now, they're ranked 49th in the world. Now, they don't seem to have much hope in qualifying for the World Cup. And as a fan, the golden age of a decade ago has been replaced with just year after year of discouragement and repeated losses and disappointment. And in the same way, this is what Israel's feeling here now. They've been conquered. They've been ruled by a foreign kingdom. And the temple that they're building is smaller and unimpressive. However, what God is revealing to them is that he has something else planned. So let's have a look uh, at what he says in verse 6. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. So he's pointing to a future event in which God will shake the heavens and the earth. Now, we're not uh, too sure what this shaking will look like. It might be a literal shaking, uh, but might be more of a metaphorical, uh, figurative shaking. But what we do know from this image that there's going to be a divine intervention that will be felt and seen throughout every corner of the heavens and the earth. That God is going to do something really big. And if we keep going in verse 7, we get a little bit more info on what this might be, what he's doing here. So in verse 7, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. God is going to shake all the nations, which is going to lead to all nations, all people coming before him. And they're going to bring before him uh, what is desired by all nations. And we see in, in the next verse, in verse 8, it shines a little bit more light on what that might look like. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And the, the language here implies uh, that the nations will fill God's house with all sorts of abundance of wealth and treasure and precious metals. And what this is painting is a picture of a victorious king. So during this period, uh, when the conquered nations will come before the, the conquering king, they will lay down, uh, paying tribute, laying down their, their wealth and what is of value to the conquering king. And this is the image that's been painted here. And then in verse 9, we're going to see what this will ultimately lead to. So in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So the house that God is building is going to be filled with a greater glory than what was built in the past. And not only that, that God is building will also grant peace. 
But you notice in that, that first bit of that verse, the glory of this present house will be greater. This present house? Well, what is God referring to? Because this physical temple that's being built, this is the same temple that's in the Gospels in Jesus' time. They've had a few upgrades a couple hundred years after this, but it's still the same temple. And then in 70 AD, 40 years after Christ, it gets destroyed. Also, this temple hasn't yet been built. This present house, well, hasn't actually been built yet. It's just the, the foundations are just been laid. What is God referring to? Well, here's the thing. God isn't referring to a physical temple or physical building. God is building something greater. And he's building something unseen. <coughs> so, as God shakes the heavens and the earth and all the nations, he's reestablishing his dominion and rule over the earth and over all. He's bringing all the nations to honor him by filling his house with glory and with treasure and with wealth. <clears throat> and all of this is ultimately going to lead to a true lasting peace. And what is God is building is going to lead to a reset, a reset of the current order. And whatever God is going to be building is going to change human history. It's going to be a history-defining moment. It's like when we look back and see uh, Christopher Columbus discovering America, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, or World War II, those are history-defining moments. This will be another history-defining moment that humanity will look back on. A reset is coming. But there's a problem. In, the, in this next section, uh, as we read verses 10 to 19, there's, a, there's an obstacle in the way for the Israelites. So Haggai uh, starts by uh, questioning the priest. He's trying to get the priest to highlight the problem. And we see that in verse 12, when she's, he asks the, the, the priests, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. In the Old Testament, uh, there were the rituals outlined in the law uh, around the separation and distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. And this is uh, often used to highlight how God himself is clean, holy, and pure, and that his people are unclean and pure. And that there's a separation between the two, and something needs to happen for these two uh, to interact. Uh, and so what Haggai is asking is that something has gone through the rituals of being cleaned, like this piece of meat, and it's been carried in the fold of their garment. And if that garment touches uh, or comes in close proximity to something that is not cleaned, like a loaf of bread, does that make the loaf clean? And the answer is no. Haggai goes in uh, a bit more detail, uh, takes this, this analogy further uh, in verse 14. Sorry, in verse 13. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. 
So if someone touches a dead body and then goes on to touch a loaf of bread, would the loaf of bread become unclean, defiled? And the answer is yes. That what Haggai is trying to say here is that there's only a one-way transfer going on. That objects that are clean can't make other objects clean. And then when there's an unclean object that makes other objects unclean. So, for example, if I come into the kitchen from doing some gardening outside, my hands are just covered in mud. I've got dirt caked into my fingernails. And I just go over to the sink and I just hover my hand over a block of soap. I don't touch it. I'm really close, though, just hovering it. What's going to happen to my hand? Is my hand going to be clean? What happens then if I go and make a loaf of bread with those same hands that are making a dough, I knead the dough, and I cook the bread... What's the loaf of the bread? What's the state of that bread? It's going to be dirty. It's going to be unclean. And, and this is what Haggai is, is trying to draw the attention to. And, and what would happen to that loaf of bread? There's only a one-way transfer going on. That dirty things make other objects unclean. And then Haggai goes on to apply this uh, to the Israelites in verse 14. For 14, so it is with this people in this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. We see here that the Israelites' proximity to the temple and to God's presence, that doesn't make them clean. And what God is is saying is that you're defiled, you're unclean, and that whatever you are, whatever you do, and whatever you offer, whatever you make, will be unclean and defiled. And we see in in verse 15, he's, he's calling the Israelites to examine themselves on this day, that they are defiled and unclean. So... That means whatever they're building on this temple is not going to be clean and will be defiled. There's a problem there. Something needs to happen. So if God is already building something glorious, he's already building something magnificent, then he can't be referring to this physical temple, can he? Being built by an unclean people with unclean hands. So God is referring to something else. He's building something unseen and something bigger. There's something bigger going on behind the scenes. So with this problem, the Israelites are unclean, building something that's unclean. God has a solution. God has a solution. We get hints of that in verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you. So God still intends to bless them. And as they begin to put him first in their lives, as they turn back to him, God is saying, I will bless you. But how? How is God going to bless these unclean people? Well, let's have a, we're going to have a look at that last section in chapter 2. Uh, in the last section, God is now speaking uh, to Haggai uh, and tells him to speak to Zerubbabel, uh, the governor of Jerusalem. Uh, let's have a look at verse 21 to 22. Tell Zerubbabel, 
governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. So God's going into a bit more detail on uh, what this shaking is going to look like. And it will be a divine intervention that's going to lead to uh, kingdoms and governments being overthrown, armies, militaries being destroyed. And again, it's highlighting that there is a future reset going to happen. And, and it's going to be a reset to the current order. It's going to bring everything under God's dominion and rule again. No more foreign kingdoms, just one kingdom, God's kingdom. No more royal thrones, just one royal throne, God's throne. And how is he going to do it? Let's have a look at verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant, the rubber bull, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like, one, uh, like my signet ring, for I have chosen you declares the Lord. So lots going on in, in this passage. So let's um, unpack this verse. So what is a signet ring? So back in this time period, a signet ring is sort of uh, quite a, a great importance for rulers and for those in authority. Uh, so back then, a, a ring was used like a signature. So we'll have the official document, their orders, uh, and uh, there'll be a wax seal. And they'll use their ring to press into that seal to create like a signature. And that means that the reader of that document will know that this has come from the ruler, from the king, and that they will obey this as if this is the king's own voice, obeying the uh, telling order in them. So this signet ring is a way for which God will act and enact his will on earth. So God's going to raise up a servant to do this on his behalf. But who will this servant be? Is God uh, explicitly referring to the rubble? Uh, just over in the next passage, in, um, actually in, in Zechariah. Uh, so Zechariah, is a, a, there's a really helpful verse that sheds a bit more light uh, on, on this prophecy. So in chapter 3, verse 8, uh, Zechariah is a prophet uh, at the same time as Haggai, uh, addressing the similar issues that Haggai is addressing. And in chapter 3, he is talking to, uh, to Joshua, the high priest. And in this verse, he's referring to some of the prophecies regarding Joshua. And he says, You and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant the branch. So what here is it's also uh, applicable to the rubber bill that God is referring to is that he is going to be a symbol of someone else who's going to come, a future servant. It's also a symbol that God's going to reestablish the line of David, the king of Israel, in which the rubber bill is uh, a descendant of David. <clears throat> And that this ties to these previous promises of a future Messiah, a future king uh, and saviour, who God would raise up to rescue his people and to reestablish uh, God's kingdom over the earth. So 
God will use and, uh, and this, will raise up a servant, the Messiah, and use him like a signet ring to enact his will by, uh, by building his house through shaking the heavens and the earth and all the nations. One, a big question that comes out of this for the Israelites and for us today is, well, when's this going to start? When is God going to kick this all off? Well, for us, it's already begun. The promised Messiah, the promised servant, has already arrived. Uh, he has already started what is prophesied here, and his name is Jesus. And through his death and resurrection, what's promised here has already been kick-started. Uh, we get a glimpse of this in the gospel. So in Matthew uh, chapter 27, uh, verse 51, and this is at the real moment that Jesus dies on the cross. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. It was at this moment, this divine intervention into the world, that we see God begin to reset the current order. That through Jesus Christ, God is building his house and filling it with glory. It's through Jesus that he is cleansing his people so that they will be clean and holy. It is through Jesus that he will shake the heavens and the earth and bring all nations under his kingdom. Now, it has started, but it hasn't yet fully complete yet. Uh, all of this hasn't fully come to pass. We're still waiting uh, for Jesus' second coming. But Christ has started this on his death and resurrection. And it continues through the church as nations, all people from all nations, are coming to follow Christ, coming under God's kingdom, being part of God's people, and giving him the glory and the honor. And this will be completed through Christ on, when he returns. And what's amazing here is that God wants us, that, that God wants his people to work through us to help build his house. That even though we, we are unclean, that even though what we're building is just is unclean and not impressive at times, God wants to use us to work through us because of what Jesus has done. I, uh, I have these fond memories of when I was young, uh, I was five, and I enjoyed helping my mum uh, in the kitchen, uh, baking a cake. The fact is, my mum didn't need my help uh, in the kitchen. Honestly, she would have probably been far more efficient if I wasn't there. But she enjoyed me being there. She enjoyed uh, me helping her. She'll be guiding my hand as I'm scooping up the flour and putting it in the mixture, showing me how to mix the batter. In all of that, showing me and guiding me how to bake this cake. And my five-year-old self wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. But this is how God is with us. That this is, he's working through us. That he, God doesn't need us to build his house. He doesn't need me or you. 
It'd be far more efficient if he didn't use me. But God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to be a part of building his house and growing his kingdom. He wants to use us. And he's going to be with us every step of the way, guiding us, giving us strength and courage, rousing our spirits. And this invitation is open to everyone, everyone to join him in what he's doing. So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ yet, I encourage you that this is an open invitation. It's never too late. It's never too late to come and join God and what he's doing here on earth. Because Christ, Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he returns, he's going to shake up the heavens and the earth and all the nations. He will overthrow kingdoms and governments, and he's going to reestablish his rule over the earth and heavens. And he invites us, all of you, to come and join him in it in the work that he's doing here now. So I encourage you that if that's you here and you want to know more what it means to follow Jesus, I encourage you, make a note of that in your comment card. Come and uh, reach out to me or anyone on the staff team or have a chat with the person that you come along with today. We would love to help you come to understand and follow Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, I really I want to leave you with these two verses of encouragement. Uh, so the first one is taken straight from this passage uh, in verse 4. So in verse 4, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. So as we go out this morning, take heart. Be strong. God is in control and is with us every step of the way as we work on his kingdom, on his house. And be bold as we go and share the good news of Jesus. Have courage as we strive to be lights in our community. And as be encouraged as we seek to put God first in our life. That working on God's house and growing his kingdom and putting him first in our life, this is not a worthless job. It's not like being a professional dog food taster. Uh, it's not going to be like being a Greek football fan and just being disappointed year in, year out, seeing no progress. God is building something often unseen. Often all this hard work we put in, the prayer, the, the sharing the gospel, we're not often going to see the fruits, but we don't know what God is doing underneath the surface. God is building something magnificent, even here in New Zealand, hearing stories of people going from death to life, seeing lives being transformed, and then looking elsewhere overseas and seeing uh, government uh, countries like Iran or China where it is really hard being a Christian and your life is at risk, but we're seeing revivals take place. We're seeing multitudes of people coming to know and love Jesus in countries where it's so dangerous to be a follower of Christ. God is working, even though we may not see it. And I want to leave you with this final verse um, in 1 Corinthians 
um, chapter 15. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church this word of encouragement, and this is for us today as well, in which Paul writes, Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I encourage you, all of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we go out into the world today, that we can go out in confidence knowing that working in, for God's kingdom, building his house, our labor is not in vain because of what Christ is doing and what he will continue to do. So with that, let us, let us pray and respond. <coughs> Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we are sinful people, unclean. We are just broken, and, but Lord, through Jesus Christ, you have come, you came to save us, to make us clean. And you have called us to work with you, to use us, Lord, to grow your kingdom and to build your house. Thank you for this great privilege and joy to be used by you, to see lives transformed, to see your house being built and your kingdom grow. Father, may this be a word of encouragement as we seek to put you first in our lives, as we seek to grow your kingdom. May we be encouraged of the fact that you're in control and that you're working with us every step of the way. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to invite the uh, band to come up. And we're going to respond in song. I sing in the Ancient of Days. And it's, this song is a, it's a great reminder. It's a pointing to the future. This eternal focus of the fact that Christ is going to return. And that God's going to overthrow kingdoms and governments and militaries and reestablish his kingdom forever. And he has invited us to be part of that. So let us uh, sing Ancient of Days. So let us stand.